The following shear has been presented by Rev. Chaim Weg, Reish Kailal of the Beis Havad Dayanus Kailal, and has been brought to you by the Beis Havad Halacha Center. To reach the center for marital or familial matters, call the Evan Ezer Division at 1-888-485-VAAD or visit thehalachacenter.org. From this week's parsha, Parshas Miketz, the Gemara at the end of Baba Basra learns, derives the concept of an Arev, the concept of a guarantor. Generally speaking, in Cheshav Mishpat, in order for somebody to be liable to pay somebody else, there has to be some sort of exchange of value. For example, if Ruvain buys a chafetz from Shimon, he buys an object from Shimon, since he received Shimon's object, in exchange, he's mechuyiv to pay Shimon for the object he received. If Ruvain borrows money from Shimon, he's mechuyiv to pay Shimon for the money that he borrowed. He received $100, therefore, he has to give back $100. If Ruvain is Mazik Shimon, so he's liable, he's mechuyiv to pay Shimon, because he destroyed $100, he was Mazik, $100 of Shimon's property, therefore he has to replace what was Genizik, what was destroyed. If Ruvain steals from Shimon, so again, he has to replace what he stole. In most Cheshav Mishpat, almost all Cheshav Mishpat exchanges, the payment is in exchange of value, in exchange for something which one either received or damaged, which belonged to the other person. However, we find in Halacha the concept of an Arev, the concept of a guarantor. Ruvain lends Shimon money, Shimon received the money, Levi got absolutely nothing. However, since Levi guaranteed the loan, since the only reason why Ruvain lent that money to Shimon was because Levi said that if Shimon defaults on the loan, then Levi will indeed repay Ruvain. The halacha is that Levi is Meshubid, Levi must pay. Although Ruvain's money was handed to Shimon and not to Levi, but yet Levi becomes Meshubid, Levi has responsibility, and Levi must pay that money back if Shimon defaults on the loan. And as we proceed, we'll see various halachic explanations why that is true. However, the makar of the concept of Arev is from this week's parasha. Yosef HaTzadik tells the Shvatim that they should not come back to Mitzrayim to buy food. They cannot get Shimon back unless Binyamin comes along. And Yaakov Avinu is nervous to send Binyamin. He's scared that we know the Sot is Mekatreg, Sakana. He feels by sending him on the derech, sending him on the road, he is putting him in danger. Rachel's no longer alive. Yosef is missing. Yaakov Avinu does not want to send Binyamin. And we find 
that two of the Shvatim guaranteed to Yaakov Avinu that they will bring Binyamin back. The first offer is made in Perik Membez, Pasuk Laban Zayin. Ruvain says to his father, My two sons should die if I do not bring Yosef back, I do not bring Binyamin back. Ruvain guarantees he's mishabed himself to the point that two of his children will die if two of his sons will die if he does not make good on his promise to bring Binyamin back. That, the Gemara says, is Arvus. It's accepting full responsibility with a knas on oneself to do something for somebody else. And the Pasuk Gemara in Basra actually brings the Pasuk later on of Yehuda. Yehuda says to the says to Yaakov Avinu, Perek Ben Gimel, Pasuk Tes, Anoichi Ervenu, I will guarantee it. Miyodi Tivakshenu, Im Loi Haviyosi Elecha, Vehitzagtiv Lefonecha, Vehatosi Lecha Kol Hayom. Yehuda assumes full responsibility for Binyamin's welfare. He makes himself liable for this knas of that he will lose his Eilam Haba. Yehuda puts his Eilam Haba on the line as a guarantee that he will bring Binyamin back to Yaakov Avinu. And we know that it was Chal. It's a big shayla, the mice, he did bring Binyamin back. But yet Chazal tell us that the Atzomais of Yehudu Megalgun Ba'orin, that the Nidui, which he accepted upon himself, was Chal, even though it was only made al Tanai, which is a whole different discussion. But al Koponim, you see that it was Chal, this concept, that Yehuda accepted full responsibility, and as a result, the knas, he was liable in this knas, which he accepted upon himself. And this, the Gemara says, is the mikar of the concept of arvos, al koponim, in certain circumstances. And for the rest of arvos, the concept of arvos, the Gemara brings psukim in nach, which we learn out from there, the concept of an Arif. But I'll call upon him the concept of an Arif Kablon, a fully responsible Arif, we derive from this week's parsha. The Chiddush is that although he has not received anything tangible, yet he can be liable for as if he received that object. That's the concept of an Arif, someone who becomes liable, although we do not have a full exchange of value. But before we discuss some of the halachas and the practical applications of Arvus, I wanted to spend a few minutes to discuss Ruvain's offer. 
Ruvain says, my two, two sons will die. Ruvain, in the Pshutah Shalmikra, offers the life of his two sons in exchange for bringing Binyamin back safely. Chazal tells us in Bereshah's Rabbah, and it's quoted here in Rashi, that Yaakov Avinu did not accept the words of Ruvain. Omar, he said, This is a Bechar Shaita. Omar, he wants to kill his sons. That Yaakov Avinu said, What do I gain if Ruvain's sons? are killed as, as a result of non-fulfilling this arvos, l'chaira, the same way, Yaakov will have the tsar of losing Binyamin, in addition he'll have the tsar of losing two grandchildren. That's the Pasha Pshatz. There's a fascinating Chuvah Chesam Sefer in Chuvah Reishches, which Chesam Sefer, actually the Meritzchias, is very bothered by the arvos of Ruvain. What does it mean that Ruvain offered as Shnei Bonai Thomas? A person is not the bailum on his children's life. What offer was Ruvain making over here when he offered Yaakov Avinu as Shnei Bonai Thomas? So the Chsam Sefer says something very, very fascinating. We all know that Yaakov Avinu had a Chelek Habechaira that had to be given out. And one of the shvatim was going to be divided into two shvatim. The Chsam Sefer says that Ruvain's offer at Shnei Bonai Thomas means that Ruvain was willing to give up the Chelek HaBechir. He said to Yaakov Inu, we find that the word of Chios refers to a Chelek in Eretz Yisrael. The Pasuk says, that Yeshua and Kalev were Chayu Minho Anashim. They lived from the other Miraglim. Hazal tell us that they received the Miraglim's portion in Eretz Yisrael. Chayu is a Lashin living. Getting a portion in Eretz Yisrael is considered to be the, the word which captured, captures that is also being alive. You find other places that a livelihood is referred to as Chayim. So to calls his friend in Russia is Yerid Imei Lechayav. He can go ahead and destroy his livelihood. Pasuk you destroyed his livelihood. The Lashon Chius over here, we find the Lashon Chius means getting a portion in Eretz Yisrael. If the Lashon of Chios means receiving a portion of Yisrael, so therefore we could translate the Lashon of Misa as not getting a portion in Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, Ruvain said, as Shnei Bonai Thomas, we know that Eretz Yisrael was Nishalik Lishvatim, that Eretz Yisrael, according to many Rishenim, was divided into 12 equal strips, and each Shevet ended up 
with an equal portion, whether it was a large shevet or a smaller shevet, and therefore shevet Yosef, who ended up the Bechar Lomaisa with Ephraim and Menashe, ended up with double what Yehuda, what Don had, although they were very large shvatim, and therefore Reuven said, as Shnei Bonai Thomas, Reuven was offering to give up the Chelek HaBechera. He said that if I do not carry out my Arvos, I do not bring Binyamin back, so then I will lose the Chelek HaBechera, I will lose the concept of Shnei Bonim, two portions in Eretz Yisrael, the Chelek of the Bechera. To which Yaakov Inu responded, Bechor Shaita Bechor Shaita, we find in Gemara Babasha that a Bechor Minoim is called a Bechor Shaita. It's a lotion of a Hadas Shaita. A Hadas Shaita is a Hadas which is not properly Mishulish. It's not foolish, the Hadas. It's not silly. But rather, because it's not functioning properly, it's called a Hadas Shaita. A Bechor Shaita is a Bechor Minoim because he does not get a Nachla. What Yaakov Avinu was telling Reuven over here is, you're a Bechor Shaita. What do you mean? You're an improper Bechor. Meaning that Reuven had already lost the Chelek HaBechor earlier. And since he had already lost the Chelek HaBechor earlier, Yaakov Avinu was planning already to give it to Yosef when Mitzvah if Yosef will reappear. But Al-Kopanim Reuven had already lost the Chelek HaBechor. And therefore, Reuven's offer to give up the Chelek HaBechera in order, as a guarantor, to the bring back of Yosef was not accepted because he is a Bechar Shaita, because he's an improper Bechar. The Chelek HaBechera, he had already lost, and therefore the Chelek HaBechera cannot be the guarantee, the Knas, the guarantee for the safe return of Binyamin. The Briskerov in Parshas Vayechi on the Pasuk, Vayemir Eilai, Hinini Mafrecha Vihir Bisicha Unsaticha Lekahal Amim. Before Yaakov Avinu makes Ephraim and Menashe into Shvatim, so Yaakov Avinu quotes a promise from the Rabbinish Lelam, Hinini Mafrecha Vihir Bisicha. The Targum Unklus teaches Lekahal Amim Lekinshas Shvatim to a group of Shvatim. And at the original Havtacha in Parshas Vayishtach, where the Rabbeinu Shlom tells Yaakovinu, Goy, Ukahal Goyim, that Yaakovinu is going to have a Goy, Ukahal Goyim, so the Targum also teaches Am the Kinshas Shvatim. A nation, and that nation will be comprised of a group of Shvatim. And the Biskarov explains that the Rabbeinu Shloim promised Yaakov Avinu that Klal Yisrael as a nation will survive forever. A nation will come out of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and that will be Klal Yisrael. And they will be Yerushar Yisrael, and they will survive forever. And then the Rabbi Shalom promised Yaakov Avinu that this nation will be a Kahal Amim, a Kinshas Shvatim, a group of Shvatim. That is a Din Shvatim. And Shvatim is negated to two things. First of all, Eretz Yisrael is divided according to Shvatim.
the Yerusha Saaretz, every Shevet got its portion in Eretz Yisrael. And according to many Rishonim, the portions that the individual Shvatim had was equal. That the halacha, the rav tarban achlosay, v'la ma'at hamen achlosay, was only referring to the mishpachas in the shevet, but the Eretz Yisrael, according to many Rishenim, was divided into twelve equals parts. But al kol panim Yerusha Saaretz had a din shvatim; it was divided amongst the shvatim. Second of all, there's a bris crucial to the shvatim that the shvatim will last forever. There's a bris shvatim gemiri. We have a kabbalah like Kala Shivta, that a Shevet will never cease to exist. In fact, it's Muchach in the Gemara Psachim, that we have, although primarily, besides the Kehanim Levim, we're primarily Enoklach, Meshevi Yehuda, Jeva Binyamin, but it's Muchach that there are other members of other Shvatim amongst us, Shvatim have to last forever, and Yerusha Sa'aretz is through Shvatim. After Yaakov Avinu makes a fray menachin to Shvatim, so the Pasuk says, the Yukari Behem Shmi Veshema Vaisai, the Ramban explains, Yukari Behem Shmi Veshema Vaisai means they will last forever. The Rizkirol goes on to explain, and he says that that's the Pshat by the Chet Egel. When the Rabbi Yisrael tells the Meisha Rabbeinu that he's going to destroy Klal Yisrael and build a nation out of the children of Meisha, so the Meisha Rabbeinu tells the Rabbi Yisrael, "Zuchay la'avram liyitzuk liyakim avadecha nishpatu emboch, but to daber leim arbe zarachem, v'chol ha'oretz hazoyis asher amarti etein lezarachem." Moshe Rabbeinu, when he davens for Klai Yisrael, he talks about Eretz Yisrael. He talks about How does Eretz Yisrael come in? So the Rizkarov explains, very gishmak. Because what did the Rabbi Yisrael tell Moshe Rabbeinu? I'll wipe out Klai Yisrael and bring a nation from your descendants. Moshe Rabbeinu, that's impossible. Because the bris for the Shvatim, the Shvatim have to exist forever. The Shvatim have to be Yerush Eretz Yisrael. And he brings a lotion from the Medrash Rabbah. Kishem she nishpata lo'aviz v'kiyamta imoyim. Af l'shvotim nishpata v'kiyamta imoyim bris. Uludvorecha reato maimin mishevet levi. Mayesh lach loimar l'shevet ruvein l'shvotim acherim. Mayesh Rabbeinu said to the Rabbeinu Shleilam that the same way you made a promise to the others, you made a promise to the Shvotim. And therefore, you can't wipe out Klai Yisrael and make a new Klai Yisrael from Meish Rabbeinu's descendants. Because if what the Rabbeinu does that, it will be bottled the bris of the Shvatim. And that's what Meish Rabbeinu said. Because the Iker Havtocha of the Shvatim is that Yerusha's Haaretz will be yarshined through the Shvatim. The way we're learning now from the Miskarov. It's even more gishmak. If we learn at the Chassam Sefer that Ruvain was willing to put his B'chelik HaBechayra to Shvatim on the line, it's very gishmak to Lashon as Shnei Bonai Thomas. My two sons will die. Meaning this, now you don't have to explain. Thomas means they won't have a full Chelik in Eretz Yisrael because Yerushas Ha'aretz won't be through them. We can learn as Shnei Bonai Thomas means literally they will be able to die. 
Because had the two sons be two Shvatim, then the bris that Shvatim can never be wiped out would be negea to the children and the enoklach of these shtei bonim. As shtei bonim bonai tomos, we could teach means that they will have the ability to die. They won't be part of the ability to wipe out. We know that certain grandchildren of Yaakov Avinu, Mishpachas, were lost. The five sons, five Mishpachas. From Binyamin was lost, Rashi tells us. Other Mishpachas were lost. Mishpachas can be lost. Shvatim can't be lost. As Shnei Banai Thomas is that they will be Mishpachas and not Shvatim. And therefore, they don't have to be Kayim La'ad Ula Omeilom. That's the Chsam Sefer, that what Ruvain was being Ma'ariv was his the Ischelech HaBechera, to which Yaakov responded, you lost it anyway. And Yehuda put down as his Ischelech HaOrev, he put down his Olam Haba, he'd be Menuda in Olam Haba, and that Yaakov Inu accepted. Now, when we talk about an Orev, we find in Halacha three different types of Orevim. One type is a regular arev. A regular arev, the malve must collect money from the leve, take the leve to Bezden, and after the leve refuses to pay, ran off, doesn't have money to pay, then and only then may the malva turn to the arev. That's a regular arev. The next type of arev is an arev kablan. An arev kablan means that he's taking also primary responsibility. That means that the Malve can either go to the Arev or to the Leve wherever he wants. Wherever the Malve wants to go to collect his money, whether he wants to go to the Arev or to the Leve, both possibilities are available to the Malve. There's a third type of Arev called an Arev Shluf Dutz. The Arev Shlutz the Malve interacts totally with the Arev. The Arev is the primary responsible party. If the Malve has a reason why he does not want to accept money from the Leve, he does not have to. The Leve could push the Malve to the Arev instead of paying himself. And that is considered to be an Arev Shluf Dutz, that the Malva goes after the Arev, and only after the Arev pays, then the Arev will go after the Leva. If the Arev does not have money, then and only then can the Malva go after the Arev. As we mentioned earlier, we have to understand how is it that the Achrayis of the Arev is Chal. With what din is the Arev Meshubit. There is no exchange of value. The Gemara says that Yehuda was an Arev Kablan, and therefore we learn Arev Kablan from our Gemara, our Psukim, our Parsha, and a regular Arev we learn from Psukim in Mishle. The question is, how is the Arev Meshubit, how does the Arev become responsible to pay? And the stipler in Kedushin, Simon Yud Beis,
makes four, goes through four shitas on the Rishenim, exactly how the Arev is Mishabit. The Rambam's Mahalach is that the Arev is Mishabit like a Kenyan Aydaisa. The fact that he acknowledges that he has this Hischaivus on him to pay for the Loive if the Loive does not pay, since, like Haidoas Baldin Kimei since he said it, and he said it with a firmness, and the Malve was Moitzi Mois Alpiv, it works with the Kinyan Aidaisa that it's, it's, since he admitted it to be true, and the Malve had a loss because of this admission, he was Moitzi Mois Alpiv. He let money out of his pocket due to the word of the Arev. So therefore, the Arev becomes Mishubit. The Ritva learns that there is in the Arev an exchange of value of sorts. The Gemara tells us that there is a tremendous hana, a tremendous pleasure which the Arev gets. It's pleasurable to the Arev that the Malva trusted him to let money out of his Rishos on the say-so of the Arev. And since he let the money out of his Rishos on the say-so of the Arev, the Arev gets pleasure from that, from the trust that the Malva bestowed in the Arev. And therefore, the Ritva learns that the reason why the Malva is Mishubid to pay the chayv is an exchange of this hana, of this pleasure that the arev receives by being trusted, similar to like we make a Kenyan suder by a chasana. We sort of exchange the suder, the aid and pick up, a handkerchief, a yarmulke, a pen, and exchange that for the hischayvus of the ksuba. So, so too. This token amount of Hana is in exchange for the Hischaivos, for the liability which the Arev takes on. The Rashbam has a third Mahalach, and the Rashbam says that it works like a Shliach, that since the Arev, Sorry, since the Malve does with his money as the Arev commands him to do, for example, lend it to the Leva, so since the, since the Malve is listening to the Arev and allowing the Arev to control his money, since the Arev controls the Malve's money, it's as if the Malve is his Shliach, to give that money to the Leve, and it's in direct exchange of the $100 given to the Leve that the Malve becomes responsible to pay, because since the Malve allowed him to spend the Malve's money as the RFC's fits, so that's as if that money was given, that's like an exchange, we exchange the Malve's money as, as if it was the Arev's money, and since the Arev is operating with the Malva's money as if it was his own, so therefore the Arev becomes Meshubid back to the Malva, his hundred dollars in exchange for the Malva's hundred dollars, which the Arev was kind of sort of by doing with it as he saw fit. 
And the final Mahalach is in Muk Yosef. Muk Yosef says that the Hischaivos is really Chal with just Dibur. Although, generally speaking, when one makes a verbal commitment without a Kinyan, that is not enough for the verbal commitment to be Chal. But over here, since the Malve is losing money and he's acting upon the request of the Arev, not like we said earlier, that we look at it like it's an exchange of these hundred dollars, those hundred dollars. The hundred dollars belongs to the Malve. But since the Malve is giving out money because the Arev told him to, so therefore that is, we see the Arev's commitment as being firm and final, even without a Kenyan, and that is how the Arev is Mishobit. In Hilchas Ribis, there is a tremendous chilek, there's a tremendous difference between an Arev and an Arev Kabur. Besides the Cheshen Mishpat difference, Nafkamina, we said before, who does the Malve go after? Does he have to go after the Leiva first, or could he go after the Arev first? But in Hilchas Ribis, there is a tremendous nafgamina lahalacha between an arev and an arev kavod. Let's say, for example, Ruvain borrows a hundred dollars from a guy, and Shimon signs off as the arev. This halva was a halva beribis. A year later, the malve comes to the leve. The leve does not have any money, and therefore the Arev pays $120 to the Malve. The Arev pays $120 to the Malve on behalf of the Arev. The question is, how much money can he collect back from the Leve? The Malve over here was a guy, so there's no problem paying ribbis to the Malve. But since both the Arev and the Leve are Yidin, so a halva of a hundred for a hundred and twenty may not be paid between one Jew and a fellow Jew. In the case of Arev, it's very clear in Shulchan Aruch, since the Malve's first recourse was the Loive, the Arev, so to say, only enters the picture later on. And therefore, when the Arev writes the check to $120 to the Malve, at that point, the Arev is lending the Loive $120, when the Leva pays him back 120, it's a loan of 120 for 120, and therefore, there is no problem or ribbis for the Leva to pay back the Arev $120, even though the Leva only got $100 from the original guy. However, if the Arev is an Arev Kablan, and the Arev Kablan pays, so many Rishadim hold, that since the, the Malve, the Goyesha Malve, theoretically could have come after the Arev. So when the Arev pays, the Kabon pays, we consider it as if the Malve handed the $100 to the Kabon, and then the Kabon turns it over to the Leve. And therefore, the Kablan lent the Leva a hundred, and he cannot get back a hundred and twenty. According to these Rishenim, the Kablan sits on the fence. 
if the loyve indeed pays, so then we look at it like the loan was to the loyve, a hundred. Goy, malve, to the loyve, a hundred. And when the loyve pays 120, that's a relationship between him and the guy, no problem whatsoever. But since the Kablin was available to pay even before we approach the loyve, if the Kablin indeed pays, so then we look at the Mafreya that the original loan was to the Kablin, and since the original loan was to the Kablin, and he handed over the money to the loyve, so therefore, when the loyve now pays the kablin back 120, that would be a problem of ribis, and therefore the kablin would have to absorb the ribis. He can only be paid back the karen. In fact, Rib Shmuel writes in Masechtas Kedushin that a regular arev can work with a heschayvus, could work with an exchange for the hana, but an arev kablin is a shliach. If the Kavlin indeed pays, then it comes out of Mafrei, he was a shliach, and therefore will have a ribbis problem if the loive will reimburse the, the, the Arev, the Kavlin, the $20 of ribbis. Now, it's very common when a young couple buys a house, so they need a parent to go ahead and to sign as a guarantor for the loan. Now, the question is like this. What happens if one month the guarantor ends up paying the loan? So may the son, son son-in-law, pay back his father and father-in-law the monthly payments that the father-in-law, as Arev, as a guarantor, paid to the bank. So according to what we just learned, we would have to analyze, is the guarantor from the back, front to the bank, a arev, a regular arev, or is he considered to be an arev kavan? And that will depend mostly on what the legalities are when the bank wants to collect the money. If the bank is allowed to go straight to the guarantor, if the bank would so desire. So then, the father, father-in-law becomes Arif Kavlan. If he's going to pay the monthly rent, monthly mortgage, including interest, then the son, son-in-law would not be able to reimburse him. However, if, he, if the bank must go to the loyve, and only when the loyve has exhausted all possibilities to pay, then and only then may they go to the guarantor, so then there will be a case of a regular arev, and then even if the father-in-law, the arev, advances the money, because they don't want to have any late fees, but still, the, that would be the time of the loan between the father and son, and then the son would be allowed to pay back the entire amount. Now, really, in truth, and this obviously has to be researched in every state and every municipality according to the banking laws, the real truth is generally something in between. That they have to be media, the loyve, that they want money. They, in many municipalities, they have to make some sort of attempt 
to 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 take to take from the leva. But when it comes to actually suing in courts, they are allowed to go ahead and sue the guarantor first. So they have to approach approach leva first. They have to send some threatening letters and give time to the leva first. But they don't have to actually bring the leva to court and get a court order against the leva in order to go to the arev. So we're someplace in between a regular arev and an arev kavlan. An arev in Shulchan Aruch, the case is that only after Bezdin gives up on the arev do we go after the kavlan. Do we go, oh, sorry, only after Bezdin goes to the leva do we go after the arev. A kavlan is first recourse. Over here, it is something in between. And therefore, it is a machlekes apayiskim, whether the father, father-in-law signing on the common bank loan is considered to be a regular arev or an arev kabon. Since it's a shayla of a deraisa, a heter iska should most definitely be made before the fact. I just wanted to point out that many loan documents are written as co-borrowers. Now, a co-borrower in Shulchan Aruch, Shtayim Shalavu, if two people together borrow $100, so Halacha says each one borrowed 50 and each one is an Arev Kablan on the other 50 So that's what, that's in Dina of Cheshem Mishpat. One has to know when the world co-borrower is used, what in effect is happening in the in the in the in the banking laws. In other words, does the bank really say this is a fancy term for a guarantor and the first recourse is still the borrower? Or because it's co borrowers, they can equally go after uh, both of them. Generally speaking, even when the term co borrower is used, the house is still the primary focus of the collection and the one who the house is in their name is the primary focus of the collection. Obviously, these things can change, and one definitely should make a hat to iska before they start. If one did not make a hat to iska, then a shayla has to be asked, and depending on the exact situation, in every case, we'll have to decide whether indeed it was dealing with an arev or an arev kava. The Beis Havad on the Parsha series has been brought to you by the Beis Havad Halacha Center. To reach the Center for Halacha Consultations, Service, Educational Seminars, or Media, please call 1-888-485-VAD. That's 1-888-485-8223. To sign up to the BHHJ, the Beis Havad's weekly interactive e-journal, please visit www.bhhj.org, or you can email us at office at the halachacenter.org.